Hello, everyone. I'm James. I am the pastor of the Glenwood Moravian Community Church. It's here in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is The Essentials, a podcast for us to explore our faith, to discuss what's going on in the world, and hopefully a place to celebrate some hope. For this episode, I have our lesson and our message from Sunday, February 11th. This was Transfiguration Sunday. Our first reading came from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it was verses 3 through 6. We're using the message translation. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going in the wrong way and refuse to, get, to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ, who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Our gospel lesson was from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. This is Mark's account of the transfiguration. Six days later, three of them did see it. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. His appearance was changed from the inside out right before their eyes. His clothes shimmered, glistening white, whiter than any bleach could make them. Elijah, along with Moses, came into view in deep conversation with Jesus. Peter interrupted, Rabbi, this is a great moment. Let's build three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He blurted this out without thinking, stunned as they all were by what they were seeing. Just then, a light radiant cloud enveloped them, and from deep in the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love. Listen to him. The next minute, the disciples were looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing nothing but Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't tell a soul what you saw. After the Son of Man rises from the dead, you're free to talk. They puzzled over that, wondering what on earth rising from the dead meant. Here ends the reading of our word. Now, there might not be a Sunday where I am more unsure of what to do than Transfiguration Sunday. Because we hear a version of this passage from one of the Gospels each Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Jesus takes a few of his disciples up a mountain. There he's changed before their eyes. His clothes become shining white. Moses and Elijah appear, and this voice from heaven 
compels those who are there to listen to Jesus. It's an event that's hard to understand, hard to describe, and frankly, hard to preach about. But the little bit of comfort I get in not knowing what to do is the fact that the disciples, people who were there, they seem just as clueless as I am. Peter is one who has an idea, at least. It's his idea to build memorials where they are. And I think he does this because that's his understanding of what his people do. They experience God on the mountain, and they stay there to soak up as much of this God moment as they can. He would know of Moses and the Israelites being on the mountain when they received the Ten Commandments, or how Moses was on a mountain when he saw a view of the promised land. He would know of Elijah going up to a mountain, Mount Carmel, to build an altar and make offerings before God. He would know the story of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain when God intervenes, so Abraham doesn't kill his son. They experience God there on the mountain, and he thinks this is their moment, so let's stay here. Let's let this moment last and understand more about what God has in store. And besides that, the experience is beyond anything he could comprehend. So he's in no rush to run away from it. He's in no rush to leave this moment that's wilder than any of his dreams. And I think in some ways we know what that feels like. To experience something so wonderful, so amazing, and to have a desire to just bottle it up so it can last forever. Those experiences, those mountaintop moments, don't, don't come around often. So we like to hang on to them when we can. And I'm not ashamed to say that two of those experiences in my life, those mountaintop moments, came as a result of my favorite professional sports teams. Just had the Super Bowl this past Sunday, so I'm thinking of when the Packers last brought the Lombardi Trophy home. I was a freshman in college. We had way too many people packed into my friend's tiny dorm room. And I wish that night could have gone on forever because when the final whistle blew, people poured into the hallways. There was total disregard for the quiet hour rules that were in place. Got bear hugs from total strangers. There was such joy. And I wish that could have just gone on and on. Or then a couple of years ago when the Bucks won the title. I was at home texting the people I was watching that Packer game with. I was also texting my dad and my brother, the two who would watch the Bucks with me back when they were so terrible. But they finally won another championship. I couldn't believe what was happening before my eyes. And even though I had a sermon to preach the next day at a Wednesday summer series, I stayed up long into the night watching every highlight, reading every tweet, soaking everything in for as long as I could, because what I was experiencing 
was something I could not imagine. It was too good to be true and too good to let slip by so quickly. And I think that's kind of where Peter is coming from. He's been following Jesus. He's seen some amazing things. But here on the mountaintop, this moment feels like the peak. Feels like everything has been leading up to this incredible experience. Knowing Jesus, learning from Jesus, but then having this undeniable God moment on the mountain. Why not stay there and enjoy it as long as he can? And maybe it is what he thinks is the protocol for his people to stay on the mountain, to experience God up there. Maybe that's his wish, to build these memorials and to stay a bit longer. But I also wonder if his desire to remain on the mountain is partially because he wants to avoid what's waiting for them down below. Because he has an idea of what's coming once they leave the mountain. And maybe he's trying to stall from that reality. Our reading picks up by saying, six days later, three of them did see it. So we're kind of being dropped into the middle of a story. And if we were to back up, we would see that Jesus has been asking his disciples a few questions. First, he's wondering what the crowds are saying about him. Who do they think he is? But more importantly, he wonders who the disciples think he is. They've spent time with him. How do they understand who Jesus is? And it's Peter who answers correctly by saying that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a key turning point in Mark's gospel, to have his identity so clearly stated. Because in Mark's gospel, the identity of Jesus is meant to be a secret. He'll often do something amazing, something unbelievable, and immediately tell those who saw it not to say anything about it. Maybe he doesn't want his reputation to spread too quickly. Maybe he wants to wait for the right time, but his identity is kept close to the chest. But here, Peter knows he's the Messiah, so Jesus lets them know what's going to happen to their Messiah. And it's not what they expect. He says that he will be arrested. He will be tortured and abused. He will suffer greatly before being killed. And that's obviously not what these disciples had in mind for their Messiah. So Peter tries to talk him out of this silly talk, this outrageous talk, saying this cannot be possible for you, Jesus. This can't be the future that's in store. Jesus assures him that these events will take place. So then you go six days forward here to the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah, with the bright light and glory, with the voice from heaven. And you can imagine Peter thinking, this, this is more like it. This makes more sense for Jesus for a Messiah, this type of awe-inspiring, 
divine moment, that is what the future should hold for Jesus. Not that trouble, not that pain and suffering, this moment of peace and wonder and joy. So that might be where he gets this idea to stay on the mountain, saying, Jesus, this can be your future. Let's not go back down where all those horrible things are waiting for you. Let's not go face those challenges. Let's stay up here where everything is good. And I think we know what that feels like, too. To have a challenge or an uncertainty, to have a place of trouble on the horizon, and to stall, to put it off, to avoid it, to ignore it for as long as possible because we don't want to face it. We stay on the mountain where it's safe, where things feel good, rather than travel back down to the valley. I think the last mountaintop moment that I had came last year when I was here at Glenwood for our call meeting, deciding if we wanted to come and move here to serve in Madison. Now, my wife, Allie, went to school here. I have loved the city the times I've visited. My family is just a little bit down the road. And for the last few years, we just kind of loosely said, you know, maybe someday we'll end up down there. Maybe in the future, we'll land in that area. But it was always just an idea, not a real plan. So when the call came to Glenwood and we were invited to have a ministry conversation, we were obviously thrilled. We met with the Unified Board and following our meeting, they continued to meet to see if they want to reaffirm the call. So while that was going on, we were just kind of walking around the neighborhood imagining what it would be like if we moved here. And when we heard that they did indeed reaffirm the call, we went straight to the Union Terrace on the UW campus. We went on the water and got ourselves a cold drink. There was a time of celebration. These things were falling into place. This was really going to happen. We called our family. We told them the good news. We pictured what it would be like living in the parsonage of the church. We wondered what kind of job Allie could get down here. We pictured walking with our baby in the next year on the bike path near our house. It was a mountaintop sort of moment. You're on the doorstep of such exciting and hopeful things. There was a lot to celebrate. And I think we wanted to stay there on the terrace. We didn't want to leave. We wanted to stay on our little mountaintop because going home, going back to freedom where I was serving for five years, meant starting the very difficult process of saying goodbye, of telling them we took another call, that we would be leaving. And that was a very scary and difficult thought. And as I put off the actual reality of telling the news, you have to plan things out a little bit. So there's a little bit of time when you know, but the congregation doesn't know. And I was 
trying to think of ways to make that route easier. First wondered if our district president could be the one to break the news. Could he be the messenger? Could he be the bad guy and tell them about the change? I wondered if this announcement could be made in an email or a congregational letter, which I knew was ridiculous, but I was desperate to not have to face this challenge. And in the end, I knew I had to do it and to be brave and share the news. And to go back down to the valley, to that place that was difficult and challenging. And in the end, I'm so glad that I got to go there and go there fully. Because in that time of sharing the news, of saying our goodbyes, we got the opportunity to reflect on our time in freedom, to share memories, to share stories with the people there, and to ultimately be affirmed in our ministry with them, and to get their blessing as they wished us well on our new adventure. It was an incredibly difficult thing to do, but there was so much value and so much hope still found there because we were able to say goodbye the right way, even if I thought there was another path that would have been easier. So for you, maybe there is something on the horizon that feels like walking down into the valley. Could be a conversation or a decision that you're trying to avoid. Maybe it's just a piece of reality that you're struggling to accept. And I think we put off those moments. We avoid them or ignore them as long as we can, because dealing with them feels very much like leaving the mountain, leaving what's safe and what's known, leaving that feeling of peace and certainty. And when we do that, when we leave that high place and go down to the valley, it can feel like in doing so, we stray away from God's presence. Just like Peter understood God to be experienced on that mountain. When we have things going well, we feel very close to God. And when we go to face those things that are more challenging, it feels like God remains in that safe place. And we're down on our own, struggling, figuring things out until we can reach the mountain again. The good news and the hope for us today is that not only does Jesus not shy away from those moments in the valley, but he willingly chose them, chooses them to be with us. He could have stayed where it was safe. He could have changed his future. He could have saved his own life. He could have spent more time in the glory in the light there with Moses and Elijah in a place of great, great comfort. But he leaves that behind. He leaves it behind and walks with his disciples back town to the valley, knowing the challenges that await him, 
Knowing the pain and suffering that he will face, he takes it all on. He's willing to leave the mountain in order to be with us. It's a reminder for us that those moments that are difficult, those experiences that are so challenging, they aren't times when we are absent from God. They aren't times when we're just waiting to connect with God once again. But God joins us in those places, joins us there fully. And it's God's presence with us that can bring light and love and hope, even in those places that feel like the valleys of our lives. Because life does take us down into the valley. But it's good to know that God goes with us too. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. You can learn more about the church that I serve, the Glenwood Moravian Church, and check out our website. You're welcome to follow us on Facebook. You can join us for worship on YouTube as well. If you want to know more, more about the Moravian Church, you can go to moravian.org. So take care, be well, I will catch you next time.